Thank you, Duncan. Uh, good morning to you, everyone. Uh, it's so great that we're, we're still meeting together in this time and, and great to see people joining from uh, outside of Manchester and, and outside of the UK. Uh, as Duncan said, we're continuing our Joseph series this morning. So we're going to be um, reading the Bible in a minute and, and picking up from there. Last week, Duncan uh, kind of paused to reflect on, on the series so far and how it applied to our situation right now in this um, time of crisis and, and pandemic across the globe. And so this week we'll be continuing as normal in, in Genesis chapter 41, which I'll open up in a minute. So this is the uh, second half of, of Genesis chapter 41. Um, it was four weeks ago now that we were in, the, in, in, if you like, part one of this message. So I'll, I'll quickly recap because that was a, a long time ago and, and lots has changed since then. So it would be understandable if, if we've all forgotten where we are so far. So Joseph has been in prison for a number of years and he's been called out of prison by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's had a couple of dreams, um, and, and two dreams in fact, and he's called Joseph out of prison to interpret these two dreams. And um, this is a very popular story, a well-known story. I'm sure you've heard it before. Perhaps you've seen the Technicolor Dreamcoat musical. If you have, this is the big Elvis number towards the end of the musical, which sadly I can't recreate for you this morning because it's being recorded. Uh, and so Joseph comes out of prison and he explains these two dreams. The, the first dream is of seven cows who, who come up out of the river, out of the Nile, and they are plump and, and fat and they look good to eat. But they're followed by seven cows, which are much skinnier, much scrawnier. And, and these, um, the latter cows, the, the seven cows that are much skinnier, consume the first set of cows. And then there's a second dream, which, on, which is on a very similar theme. There are seven uh, heads of grain, which are, are ripe and healthy, and they look good to eat. But they're, they're followed by seven heads of grain, which, are, uh, which do not look good, which are withered and, and scorched by the elements, by the wind and the sun. And again, they consume the seven heads of really healthy grain. And Joseph explains that these two dreams are, are one and the same. And that God has sent two dreams to make it clear that this is something that God is going to do and he's going to do soon. It's set in his mind. And, and the two dreams mean, mean this. These seven healthy ears of grain and the seven um, healthy cows represent seven years, seven years of plenty for Egypt. And, and Egypt was a really prosperous, wealthy nation at the time. They were used to good harvest. But these were going to be seven years far surpassing what they were used to. And then there were going to be seven years of really extreme famine where there would not be enough food to go around. And we left off with Joseph kind of putting forward his vision, his plan for how Egypt could cope with this scenario, how it could get through the latter seven years of famine. And he, he was recommending to Pharaoh that he needs to find a really wise and discerning man to lead the country through this crisis. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 41, verse 37. You can read along yourself. If not, I will read it out for you. The plan seemed, to God, sorry, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, 
and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Or your, my, your Bible might say something like bow the knee or bow down there. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Sapanaia and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do as he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. So this is quite the, the turnaround story for, for Joseph so far. We've seen he's come, he's woken up one morning in, in prison at the, the very bottom rung of society, if you like. And by the end of the day, he is Pharaoh's second in command. He's at the very top of society. And, and not only is he free, but he is elevated to new heights and, and positions of power and responsibility that he previously could have only dreamed of. Quite literally, we, we, we read at the beginning of the Joseph story um, of, his, of his dreams from, from God. And, and this is the beginning of that beginning to come true. He's, he's in this position of power and authority. And, and Pharaoh doesn't hold back. He dresses him in fine clothes and, and, and gives him great riches. He's given a, a chariot, the second chariot in all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh's own chariots. He's given a really important job to do with, with great power and authority. He's given a new name, an, an Egyptian name, signifying his uh, joining of the culture, if you like. He was an outsider, a foreigner in Egypt, um, and, and he was given this Egyptian name and even an Egyptian wife from a prominent Egyptian family. Such was his new status in, in life. 
and he was given a golden chain around his neck. You know, he, he switched the, the chains of prison with, with the golden chain that Pharaoh gave him. Uh, we, can, we can learn that this was a sign of services to the king that was customary for pharaohs of that time to, to give to their servants. And he was given a signet ring from Pharaoh's own hand, transferred from Pharaoh's finger to Joseph's finger. And this was a sign of the king's authority and power literally in the hands of Joseph. Orders that came from Joseph now came from the king's own hand with the king's seal. And we're not given an exact title of, of what Joseph's job would have been. Um, but if we, again, if we look at the roles and responsibilities that he has, compare them with the, the kind of things going on in that era, we would come up with the title of vizier. Or in our modern day United Kingdom, probably the best comparison we can make is to the role of a prime minister. You know, we are a monarchy in this country and we have a queen and the queen appoints a prime minister to lead her government. And the government and the prime minister are there to serve the queen. They are Her Majesty's governments. And we see exactly the same here. We see that Joseph is appointed by the king. He's appointed by Pharaoh and he's given authority by Pharaoh to be in charge over the whole government, in charge of the whole of running the country. And all of the things that you can think of that the Prime Minister in this country, Boris Johnson, oversees as, as part of his role, it includes all aspects of government. And so would have been true for Joseph. If you think of, yes, he would have been in charge of the agriculture and, and ensuring that everyone was provided for in terms of food and distributing that food, but also the, the military and the police, the, the treasury, the judiciary. He was in charge of all of Egypt, and in fact, only the throne, only the crown, if you like, was withheld from him by Pharaoh. So he still answers to Pharaoh who sits on that throne. And we read that he goes out over all of Egypt. That must have been quite a, a contrast for him. He spent um, 13 years, we, we learn, when we were first introduced to him, he was 17 years old before he was sold into slavery. And we'll read that he's now 30 years old. So he spent a long time either as a slave or a servant in someone's household or in prison. And now he is free to roam over the whole land of Egypt in this chariot. And as he goes about, people shout before him, make way. Or as I pointed out earlier, perhaps your Bible said, bow down or bow the knee. So there's evidently a couple of ways we can interpret this. And I think the most appropriate sentiment we can get from this is that people are paying homage to Joseph. This outsider, this foreigner, despite all of that, they are throwing themselves down on the dirt um, to pay homage to him for, for the work that he's doing and the position and the role that he has. And this might be quite strange for us, particularly as I've just compared Joseph to our prime minister. I can't imagine anyone throwing themselves on the floor, bowing down to Boris Johnson or, or really any prime minister in this country, but this is what we read in, in this passage. And we learn that as time goes on, the, the blessings of God are, are vast and they, the grain and, and the harvest numbers the sand of the sea and that even uh, a sophisticated society of the time such as Egypt that was used to great harvest, they stopped counting the harvest because it was beyond measure. And he gets two sons 
in this um, period of plenty, and he gives them both Hebrew names, which is really interesting. And he gives them names that help him um, celebrate God. He, he celebrates the fact that God has helped him forget the troubles of his past, and particularly the troubles with his family. But he also celebrates the, the way that God had brought him into a new life in this place where he felt suffering previously. And, and we see, just as Duncan talked about last week, God has really shaped Joseph during the last 13 years. We, we're introduced to him as quite a naive 17-year-old um, boy. He doesn't have any tact at all. Um, doesn't seem to be particularly wise or discerning. Um, but we, we see a man in this passage who is equipped by God to deal with this crisis, to deal with this famine in all of Egypt and, and to provide for the country and for even the countries beyond. Such is the work that God has done in him. And, and when the time comes, he is ready and he distributes the food. He doesn't stockpile it up just for himself or just for the elite in society or his friends or his family. He distributes the food amongst the whole people and even to the nations that come to him seeking food as well. So there's, there's an awful lot in here. And I think it would be great to, to think of this story of how Joseph's progressed, how Joseph's um, persistent faith from the very beginning in chapter 37, when we're first introduced to him, is honoured after all of these years. You know, we read of a boy who, yeah, he doesn't have any tact. Yeah, he's got a, his own flaws, but he is faithful to God. He trusts in God. He trusts in the words that God has given him. And it might be nice for us to think of ourselves as Joseph and to think of all the great things that are in store for us as faithful followers of God. But perhaps this is not the, the heart of the message. This, this is not the, the thing that we need to be hearing right now, particularly in this time of crisis. Perhaps I, I would suggest we should think of ourselves as the Egyptians in this story. Joseph comes from a fairly ordinary shepherd's background. And, and you might think, yeah, but you know, he was the son of Jacob. He was the son of Israel, one of God's chosen people. He, um, hears from God in the prophetic, in his dreams. And, and that's true, but he, he comes from a fairly ordinary background at the end of the day. He was a shepherd boy who was sold into slavery. And as he goes through those many times of difficulty, doesn't shy away from the task that God has given him. He holds true to the dreams that he's received from God. He trusts in them. He has faith that they will come true. He doesn't water down an unpopular message that he has. He, he shares it with people. Um, he's in a, a hostile land in Egypt, actually. He's the only Hebrew probably in Egypt at the time. These, these were people who were aggressively pagan. They had their own pantheon, their own gods, that you as a foreigner, as an outsider, were expected to worship. But Joseph doesn't compromise at any point in this story on, on his beliefs, on his values. He remains true to who he is. He remains true to his God. And he, he speaks the words that he receives from God. He, he shares the dreams that he's received and, and the interpretations that he's received. And he attributes them all to God as we go through the story. We can see time and time again that's the case. And these words that he speaks begin to incite hatred, even in his own family. People try and kill him 
and, and cause him harm. He's falsely accused in the house of Potiphar for, for something that he didn't commit and he suffers greatly in prison for, for that thing he was accused of. And you might be beginning to think that this sounds rather familiar, that Joseph was um, beginning to sound like someone else who we read about in the Bible, who comes from a, a fairly humble background, who doesn't shy away from the task that God has set before him, whose words of truth in a, in a hostile place are incite hatred amongst people and, and people attempt to kill him. It's, it's great to see that Joseph in this passage is revealed as the forerunner to another, as the forerunner to the greatest thing that was to come. We read that Joseph doesn't quite reach that place of the throne, that the throne is the last thing that's held back from him, but the throne is not held back from Jesus, who is to come later. So we can look at this passage and we can see a glimpse of what is to come, or we can see a glimpse of this other man, Jesus, from a humble background who was faithful to God, who endured great suffering for crimes he didn't commit. And, and when we see Joseph, we get a glimpse of that. We get a glimpse of our living saviour who can, we can meet with and encounter today in our time of struggle, just as Egypt was able to come to Joseph in their time of struggle. And so in this time of crisis, I think that's the, the only way to respond is, is just as the Egyptians responded. If we see ourselves as the Egyptians in this story, we can learn something from how they react to Joseph as their saviour in the situation where they were in. And in fact, we, we, we also see right at the very end that the whole world came to Joseph in this situation, just as the whole world needs to come to Jesus right now. And so we can see what, what the Egyptians are doing, and in many ways, nothing really has changed. You know, we're, we're thousands of years later now, and in this time of crisis, we might still be facing lots of difficulty. You might be facing um, all sorts of different feelings and emotions during this time. It's um, an unprecedented change, really, in our, in our society. In, in the past week or so, where we've been forced to stay at home, you might be feeling isolated or alone. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're feeling that way, to, to please reach out to us. Um, we will make some time afterwards to, to pray for people. But also, Jesus is there for you. He's your friend in this situation. Jesus is available to you in your household. You don't need to go out anywhere to meet with him. As, as we're demonstrating this morning, we can meet with him in our homes. You might be feeling scared. Perhaps you have a health condition that puts you at higher risk. Or you might be scared for a friend or a family member who's, who's in a similar position. And again, there is, recon, um, there is reconciliation and comfort for us with Jesus in our lives. You might be worried about getting food or other essentials into your house, into your family. Perhaps you're providing for a young family or for yourself and you're worried about being able to feed everyone. Perhaps you're worried about your finances in your job. You know, there's um, all sorts of things changing at the moment and there is a, a lack of security, if you like, in, in jobs and people are losing their jobs and their security in that. 
And again, if you are, are struggling with finances or food, please do reach out to us after this and we would love to be able to help you. But please do pray about it. Do, please do seek Jesus in this situation and he is there to help you even more than we can. And if we look at the Egyptians, what they do is, is two things. The first is that they bow down to Joseph. And the, the second is that they go to him and they ask him for help. They ask him for food. And we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, which I'll just read out for you, that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So just as Joseph was bowed down to, we should bow down to Jesus. We need to acknowledge him as the rightful king, even in this situation, even in this crisis. We need to acknowledge him as our saviour and we need to ask him for help. And I don't know about you, but I think this is far greater news than that we are Joseph in the story. That all of the good things that might happen to us after the crisis. Now, we are the Egyptians. We are God's people that he has chosen to come and save. He has sent a saviour for. And he has sent a saviour for us now. And not just for after. Not just for in the future. And we read later on in the story of Joseph as he is um, coming towards the end of his life and he's talking to his brothers. He, he tells them about how what they did, they meant for evil. They meant to harm him. But God meant it such that many would be saved. And this is true again for Jesus. He was put on a cross. He was crucified for things that he did not do. He was falsely accused of and, and wronged. And this was meant to harm him. This was meant for evil. But actually God meant this for good. This was part of God's plan that many would be saved. And, and that is still true today, even in this time of crisis. And there's no restrictions at play here, as I talked a little bit about earlier. Jesus isn't restricted by any quarantine or anything like that. You can meet with him in your home. You don't need to use your one trip out a day to meet with Jesus. You can meet with him as many times as you like in the day. You can um, reach out to him in the morning, the evening, the afternoon, whenever it is. And we're not restricted to three tins of soup or, or one packet of toilet roll as we are um, in, our, in our shopping and things. You know, in, in this time of difficulty where it feels like there's new guidelines every day, there's new restrictions on our lives every day, it's so freeing to know that Jesus is constant throughout all of that. He is not restricted in any way. And so during this lockdown period, and throughout this time of crisis, Jesus is available to us. And I think that's really the message for us this morning. And we're going to make some time um, at some point before the end of this meeting for us to pray through that. And we're going to make some time for you to reach out um, and for us to pray with you, if that's what you would like, or for you to um, receive help in any of the areas that I've outlined. And so we're going to wrap up in just a minute and, and worship and, and have communion. But I think I would just end with um, reminding us of, of that um, verse in Philippians that I just shared with you, that we need to, to acknowledge Jesus Christ for our saviour in this situation. And we need to turn to him and we need to bow down and 
at the end of the day, many will be saved um, in, even in this time of crisis.